We started a series just a few weeks ago uh, entitled what you see on the screen, The Many Colors of God's Faithfulness, and we are walking through the story of Joseph from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50, going verse by verse, looking at this story, really reminding ourselves, or maybe for some of us the first time, realizing this truth that God is faithful. And that's really the point of The story of Joseph is we can look at Joseph's life and we can glean lessons from Joseph's life and see the choices that he made and and see those uh, supported and and through other passages of scripture. And as much as the story is about Joseph, it's more about God's faithfulness in providing for his people through the life of Joseph. And as we've walked through already this story in just the couple chapters that we've seen Already, And as we continue to walk through this story, we're going to see that Joseph's life is like ours oftentimes, though Joseph's circumstances maybe have been different. The, the reality is the same, that life has ups and it has downs and it has twists and it has turns and, and it goes different than what we thought and whether that's good or difficult. But in the midst of all of the ups and downs and twists and turns, they provide us an opportunity to see God's faithfulness in such a greater way. And so this morning is no different than what we've looked at the past few weeks in seeing God's faithfulness. But this morning in Genesis 39, we're gonna look at this, and it's the title of the message this morning if you're taking notes. The title is this, The Importance of Integrity. And I don't have to tell you that you don't, just the news that you watch on a daily basis, it seems like lately, that that reality of the importance of integrity just keeps coming up, whether it's out of Hollywood, whether it's news corporations, whether it's this story that all all of a sudden has broke about what's happened in the past, whatever it may be. And the reality is, is not much has changed. It's the way it's always have been. It's just a matter of that there's more of a spotlight on it with all the social media and different avenues that we have and the less privacy and all of that. But the Reality is, is we're reminded every day of the lack of integrity that exists in our culture. And I was reading just this week and found this article from Christianity Today that was just written just about a month ago, and it made reference to a recent Gallup poll from December of 2017. And here's what this Gallup poll found, that less than half of the country... So just two out of every five Americans believe that clergy, does everybody know what we mean by clergy? I think we do. Believe clergy are honest and have high ethical standards. So just two out of five. And that probably may come as a shock to you, not as much to me as is is I hear more and more about different pastors or ministers or whatever that Different things have happened and they've fallen out of ministry, but the reality is, and it's very sad, that this Gallup poll found that just two out of every five Americans believe that clergy, pastors, are honest and have high ethical standards. So those are my circles. Let's talk about yours, because I don't want you to feel alone today. So let's talk about yours. That's, that's my group of people. Let's talk about yours. Uh, we might have some judges in the room. I don't know if we do or not. It's interesting that this, this article also made reference that only 43% of people trust judges. Quite interesting. Daycare providers, 46%. 
Not sure where all these people are putting their kids, but daycare providers, 46%, believe that their daycare providers are honest and have high ethical standards. Police officers, 56%. Pharmacists, only 62%. Medical doctors, 65%. Grade school teachers, 66% believe that they're honest and have high ethical standards. Military offers 71%. Now, have we got any nurses in the room? You're like weary to raise your hand right now, I know. They're the best, 82%. Yeah, let's hear it for our nurses. Now, here's what I know. 100% of our nurses in this church are honest and have high ethical standards. But, but I just share that with you to just really highlight what we already all know is that honesty and high ethical standards, unfortunately, are not given priority in our culture today. I mean, you'd have to live in a cave right now not to see everything that's going on in the news and social media about sexual harassment and, and, and being highlighted, and it's always existed. It's just praise be to God that it's finally being highlighted of what's going on, but we see it happening. Whether And even Hollywood and actors and media corporations, and news channels are, things are coming out, and what it reminds me of is that we have an integrity epidemic that really could be classified as a sin epidemic. Unless we single out any one of us in thinking that we're something better than someone else, every one of us every day deal with our own sin epidemic. And my own sin epidemic and your own sin epidemic remind me of the title of the message this morning of the importance of integrity. The importance for me to live a life of integrity. And so we're going to see this in Genesis 39, but before we do, can I just give you a definition for integrity? This is the definition that I came up with. As we look at this passage of scripture, integrity is this, making life choices according to God's word, believing this is God's will and God's best for my life. Now, we can go to Webster's Dictionary and look up the word integrity and it will give us a definition and it will be a right definition. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I wanted to hone in more on what do we mean by the importance of integrity, living a life of integrity. And that's why the definition is worded in the way that it is. It's about us making life choices according to God's word, believing it's God's will and God's best for our life. And so based on that definition, what I want to do as we look at Genesis 39 is just give you three truths that I see in this passage of Scripture about integrity as we've defined it. So would you look at verses 1 through 3 with me? And we'll jump into this story. For those of you who may not be familiar with this story who haven't been here in the past, let me just say, you can go on our website, you can watch our messages online, you can subscribe to our podcast, but let me just give you a brief overview. So Joseph is one of 12 brothers and he's the youngest and he's the most adored and his brothers hated him and they took him and they threw him into into a pit and they sold him into slavery. And now Joseph is sold to Egypt and we find ourselves in chapter 39, verse one, where it says this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt 
And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph. That's going to be a key phrase in this chapter. And he, was pro- and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Here's the first truth about integrity, and it's really found from verse 1 all the way through verse 6, but I want to stop at verse 3 and give you the first truth. Here it is, number one. Integrity, as we've defined it, is not biased to circumstances. That integrity is not biased to circumstances. Remember we mentioned this a couple weeks ago? It would seem, to those of us who don't know the end of the story, and let's, those of us who do, let's pretend that we don't, that when you just look at Genesis 37 and you see Joseph exercising integrity, remember? He obeyed his dad. His dad wanted him to go down to visit his brothers, to check up on them, to give them food. Joseph obeys, and because of his obedience, that obedience leads him into a pit. And everything that we would look at would say, man, Joseph's obedience did not lead to good consequences. It led to difficult, bad consequences. It put him in a pit. It sold him into slavery. He, he now is living the life of a slave. He's been removed of his prestige and his prominence. So why in the world would Joseph exercise integrity anymore? We would be tempted to believe that. And many of us struggle with the same thing, do we not? We struggle for our integrity to be biased to circumstances. That okay, God, here's the, way, here's the way it works in my mind. I make a right choice, a choice of integrity, therefore you're going to do this for me. And I make another choice of integrity, and you're going to do this for me. And I make another choice of integrity, and you're going to do this for me. And we think that God works for us. And what oftentimes happens is is we make the right choice, we make a choice of integrity, and then all of a sudden it seems like that God is working out something different than what we thought. And if we're not careful, what happens is, is our integrity is biased to the circumstances that we live, rather than understanding, as we look at the story of Joseph, even in these three verses, that Joseph's integrity was not biased to circumstances, but rather Joseph made the choice of integrity because he believed that he needed to trust God in the process. And one of the things that we're going to be tested in when we have the choice, am I going to make a choice of integrity or am I going to make a choice to do what I want to do or what my flesh wants to do? And when we make the right choice and we may not see God exactly work things out the way that we think it should be done, we are in that moment tested. Are we going to trust God's promises and his provision and his presence in the process? The process. Because in this time in Joseph's life, he couldn't see the promises He couldn't see his dream and the provision of the dream becoming a reality that he had in Genesis 37. But he trusted God in the process because he believed in God's presence. You know, part of embracing the process is believing in God's providence. That's a theological word that some of us may be familiar with and others of us not. And we have God's sovereignty 
which means God's authority over all things. And then we have God's providence. And God's providence means this. It means how God is working things out according to his purpose. And what we need to understand about God's providence is God's providence doesn't contradict his promises and it doesn't contradict his provision and it doesn't contradict his presence for you. Because oftentimes we can get caught up believing that. God, why aren't you working things out this way? Why didn't you work things out that way? God, I made the choice of integrity and you don't seem to be working, but that's not the right perspective. God is working and our response is to trust in the process that he's doing so that our integrity is not biased to circumstances. You say, how do I do that? And even though we don't see specifically in this passage of Scripture how Joseph does that, like what steps does he take? It's a narrative. The overwhelming thing that jumps out at these pages when I look at this story in God's Word is that four times in this chapter we read that the Lord was with Joseph. It's emphasized over and over and over again. And somehow, some way, Joseph had the reality in knowing that God is with me in the process. And my integrity in the process is not going to be biased towards the circumstances that I face. So on this side of the cross... What do we have that Joseph didn't have? We have God's word. If I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I have the Holy Spirit who gives me the power to live the life that God desires me to live. I have the reality in knowing how much God loves me that he sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to live a perfect life for me that I couldn't live, to die on the cross for my sin that I deserved, that he rose again three days later that I didn't deserve that. But Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner at my worst, Jesus Christ died for me. That's what I have on this side of the cross. And so the way that I embrace the process when the circumstances seem to be working out differently than the way I may desire them to, but I'm not going to allow those circumstances to cause my integrity to be biased. No, no, no. I'm going to do what's right because of understanding who my God is and that his promises never fail me. His provision is always there. His presence is always with me. How do I do that? I read God's word faithfully. I pray fervently. And I trust him faithfully. You're like, man, it seems like you say the same thing over and over again. But the reality is, is when I look at my own life, when, I've, when I make the sinful choice, rather than the choice of integrity, making life choices according to God's word, believing it's God's will and God's best for my life, when I make the sinful choice, I can always tie it back to I'm not reading God's word consistently. I'm not praying fervently. I'm not trusting God faithfully. I can always trace it back to that in my own life. Anybody that I've ever met who has found themselves in a ditch with sin. You know what's interesting is when I ask that person grace, because I know my heart and I know what I go through, and I ask them, hey, tell me, 
Tell me how often you've been in God's word before this happened. And the reality is, because it's true for my life, it's going to be no true. It's not going to be any different for yours. You know what I found? Every single instance, it's like I haven't been. So how can I trust God in the process and make choices of integrity that are not biased to circumstances if I'm not in his word consistently, if I'm not praying fervently? Because there's no way I can trust God faithfully if I'm not reading his word consistently and praying fervently. Integrity is not biased to circumstances. Let's continue reading in verses 4 through 6. Look at how this is flushed out even more. It says in verse 4, Joseph found favor in his eyes, speaking of Potiphar's eyes. And he became his attendant, and Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, here's this emphasis again, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph's, in Joseph's care everything he had, with Joseph in charge, he did not concern him with anything except the food that he ate. Listen to me, integrity is always going to be blessed by God. Always, always. It's always gonna be blessed by God. We see that in these verses that we read in verses four through six. God's activity is all over this chapter. I mentioned that just a moment ago. It's interesting that in your Bibles, you'll find the word Lord, right? But it's capital L-O-R-D. And when you see that, it's the word Yahweh. It's the personal name for God. It's the covenant name for God. And it's interesting that word Lord is used eight times in this chapter. That God, that the Lord to Joseph is just not a Lord, it's just not a distant Lord, but he is personal to who Joseph is. It's mentioned once in verse 2. It's mentioned twice in verse 3. It's mentioned twice in verse 5. It's mentioned once in verse 21. And it's mentioned twice in verse 23. See, Joseph didn't become head of Potiphar's household by chance. He became head of Potiphar's household because not because he did something special. Like it doesn't say, man, Joseph was like head and shoulders and worked so much harder than the other servants. It doesn't say specifically that Joseph did anything special, but what is emphasized is Joseph became head of Potiphar's household and God blessed him because Joseph made a choice to do what was right. To do what was right. Right, and there is no shortcut for doing what is right. Integrity is blessed by God. You know, it's so interesting. I tell high schoolers this, and, and I tell college students this. Like, if you're a high schooler and you have a job right now, maybe it's your first job, maybe you've been working there for a year or so, or you're a college student and you're ready to go in the workforce, can I tell you something? Nowadays, you know what you need to do to climb up the ladder? You need to show up on time and do your job. That's it. Show up on time and do your job. It's amazing anymore of like all that is necessary to rise and to stand out is just to make the choice 
to do what you're supposed to do. It's amazing to me. Like, that's probably why so many of you eat at Chick-fil-A. Because you just like the service is so much different than in other places where they're just like, my pleasure, and they're so nice and everything else. And you're like, man, it's amazing. These kids are just doing what they're supposed to do. But there's no shortcut for doing what's right. And integrity is always blessed by God. But listen to me, it seems like we're, we're tempted to think this way every time that word is used. When I say blessing, what happens? Your mind immediately goes to material things, does it not? But do you know what Joseph's greatest blessing was? By exercising integrity? Is that God's presence was felt in such a greater way in his life. Listen to me, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, no sin can remove that relationship. But when I'm making choices of integrity, there's a peace there, there's a comfort there, there's a security there, in spite of the circumstances and knowing that God's presence is felt in a greater way when I am making the choice to do what is right. Here's the second truth. It's found in verses six through 10. Let's read it. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Now guys, don't raise your hand, but how many of us want to be described that way? Wives, you want to do something awesome for your husband? When you go home today, tell him that he's well-built and handsome. It's a whole nother message that had nothing to do with this, but that's free, okay? Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and everything he owns he has entrusted to my care, and no one is greater in the house than I am. It's not a prideful statement. That's Joseph taking seriously the responsibility that he's been given. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Here's the second truth about integrity. Integrity is revealed in privacy. That's when it's really revealed. When you're in, when you're, in privacy, when nobody else is around. And temptation is a test of my integrity. Now get this, temptation's not a sin. It's a test of integrity. And James 1 says that God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. So let's not think that temptation to sin comes from God because God's word clearly says it does not. But temptation is not a sin, it's a test of integrity. And I say that because we go to Matthew 4 where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and Jesus does not sin. He's God. He's fully man, but he's also fully God. And he does not sin, though he was tempted. Temptation is a test of integrity. And Joseph is put to the test. And how I deal with temptation reveals my integrity. 
Because what I do in private reveals to me where I really am in my walk with the Lord. See, I can put on a face before you on this stage, and I can put a face for you in the lobby when we shake hands, and I can put a face if you choose to meet with me, but who and what I do in private really reveals where I am in my walk with the Lord, and it's true of you as well. So with that thought in mind, let's continue in verse 11. Let's continue where we're at with this. So Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, day after day, is, is propositioning Joseph, and he makes a choice. He's, man, I'm not even going to be in her presence. Look at verse 11. And one day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of his household servants was inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. And he came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When did this temptation happen? When nobody else was around. And that's why I say temptation happens most in the private times. We see that throughout Scripture. Look at Genesis 3. Eve was tempted to sin by the serpent. Where? When she was alone. David saw Bathsheba and was tempted to sleep with her when? When he was alone on his rooftop. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Jesus was tempted, the one who did not sin. When? When he was alone in the wilderness, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And what it reminds me is I'm most susceptible to sin, to be tempted to sin and to give in to that temptation in the private times. It's where we see the temptation get the hottest with Joseph. So how do we deal with it? Because I think we've made clear we're all gonna be tempted to sin, every one of us. So how do we deal with it? And I see in verses 9 through 12, or verses 8 through 12, how we deal with it. And let me give you four ways. Here's the first one. Admit that you are weak. There is nothing wrong with me admitting I'm weak. And you're weak. And we better embrace that. We better come to grips with that. We better never think that we're better than anyone else. You and I are weak. We're weak. And I find it interesting that in this passage of Scripture, in verse 10, that Joseph understands he's weak. So let's not get ourselves caught up into thinking that Potiphar's wife was some homely woman who no one would ever give time to. Because that wasn't probably reality. She was Potiphar's wife. Potiphar had prominence. So therefore, his wife was probably one that was attractive, not homely. So it wasn't like, man, Joseph, you've been, you know, you've been away for a long time. So, no, no, no. Let's not be foolish and naive in thinking that. Joseph understood that he was weak. 
And he understood that he was weak because every day this woman was coming to him, propositioning him. And what did he say? He's like, I'm going to remove every opportunity from me to even be with her. Why? Because I understand I'm not above doing what she wants me to do. Some of you are excusing everything because in your mind you're like, ah, that wouldn't be me. Would never do that. Would never do that. So, so, so bad for them. That would never be me. And man, you are most susceptible to temptation when you start thinking that way. Because Joseph understood, I'm weak. And I need to understand I'm weak. And you need to understand you're weak. And 1 Corinthians 10, 12 is a great passage of scripture that reminds ourselves of that. To anyone that thinks he stand, beware lest he what? Fall. Admit that you are weak. Here's the second thing. Prioritize your personal relationship with the Lord. Did you notice that the second part of verse nine there in Genesis 39, what Joseph says to this woman who for all intents and purposes has no relationship with God whatsoever, but look at how Joseph responds to her. Not only does he say, I can't do this because of my position and what I've been given, but what else does he say? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? He doesn't say sin against Potiphar or sin against you, Potiphar's wife, but he says sin against God. Not that it wouldn't be a sin against Potiphar or Potiphar's wife, but he seems to have such a relationship with the Lord that he says, my main motivation that I can't do this is because I have prioritized my personal relationship with the Lord. The Lord. And I've found that any time that I've made the choice to sin and fall into temptation and give into it and not make the choice of integrity, I can always trace it back that my relationship, personal relationship with the Lord and my time with Him. What do you say? Read God's word consistently, pray fervently, trust him faithfully, that I can always trace it back that my time for that is not prioritized where it needs to be. Every time. I'm speaking of myself. And I found that true with anyone else that has done the same thing. I mean, we have to get ourselves out of this thinking that we can make, live a life of integrity, believing making life choices, believing that those life choices need to be made according to God's word and that it's God's will and God's best for our life. That's our definition of integrity. How in the world can we live a life that way apart from being in his word? And yet sometimes we think that somehow we can do that and be void of being instructed by God every day. That's the whole, how the Holy Spirit primarily speaks to us is through his word. How in the world can I live a life of integrity apart from hearing from God every day? Here's the third thing. And I found it at the beginning of verse 9 because do you see what Joseph does in the beginning of verse 9? He, he says, man, how can... How can I do this? I'm in, I'm in charge. I've been trusted by, by my supervisor, by my boss, by your husband. I've been given these responsibilities and though I can't sin against God and that's prim my primar primary motivation, I'm reminding myself of the consequences of what would happen if I chose to do this. 
And that's the third thing. Concentrate on the consequences rather than the pleasure of sin. Because don't let anybody tell you that sin is not pleasurable for a season. That comes straight out of God's word. Sin is fun for a season. Sin brings happiness even for a season. Sin brings those feelings of whatever for a season. But eventually, sin is going to cost us more than we want to pay. And what Joseph is doing in this is he's reminding him of the cost of what sin would require him to pay if he slept with Potiphar's wife. And let's not make Joseph a superhero. He had red blood running through his veins like every one of us. So let's not think that he wasn't tempted, but he did not give in because he reminded himself of the consequences that would come if he gave in to that sin. And the consequences of the sin, he made reference to that more than thinking about the pleasure that the sin would bring. That's so important for us to remind ourselves that in the heat of that temptation that we remind ourselves, man, if I do this, though I don't know the exact way that would play out, how would I look my wife in the face? How would I look my husband in the face? How would I look my kids in the face? What would be taken from me? Consequences of that, and hear me on this. Integrity is not perfection, integrity is submission. And so when I mess up and when I make the choice to sin, praise God for his forgiveness and his restoration. And Jeremiah 18 is such a great passage of scripture that talks about Jeremiah going to the potter's house and he goes into the potter and it says the clay was marred in the hand of the potter so the master made a new vessel. So hear me on this. I'm not saying that there's any sin that's greater than God's forgiveness or any sin that's greater than God's restoration. But there's consequences And one of the greatest things that I can do when I'm in the midst and the heat of the temptation is say, rather than focus on the pleasure that this sin is going to bring me for moments or days or whatever it is, let me focus on the consequences that will come because of it. Because of the reality of knowing that sin costs me so much more than I want to pay, but integrity, you know what I found? Integrity never has regrets. I've never found a person that says, I regret making the right choice. I regret making life choices according to God's word, believing it's God's will and God's best for my life. Here's the last thing under how do we resist temptation. I find it in verse 12. What does he do? He runs. Okay, I've done everything I can to keep myself out of contact with her, and now she finds me when no one else is there, and she actually grabs me by the cloak. So what am I going to do? I'm going to run. Here's the last thing under how we resist temptation. Set up defenses against the temptation. You know what Joseph's defense was? Get out of there. That was the defense. Get out of there. You know what's a defense for us? accountability. And so often we think of that word as as an ugly word. Accountability is not policing. Accountability is partnership. And let's do life together. Let's hold one another accountable. Let's encourage one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. 
And it goes all the way back to the other things that we mentioned in the steps, right? The reason why I set up defenses is because I understand I'm weak. The reason why I set up defenses is because I want to prioritize my relationship with the Lord. The reason why I set up defenses is because I'm thinking about the consequences if I give into that sin rather than the pleasure. For me, I got passwords. I can't watch whatever I want on Netflix without that password. I can't watch whatever I want on TV. There's certain channels that we don't have. Why? Because I know I couldn't handle it if we did. And I'm not saying that to make something much of myself. I'm saying that so you understand I'm no different than you. I'm weak. You're weak. And I've found that many times we don't put those things in place. You know why? Because we really don't want to give them up. That's why I put set up defenses at the last. Because the other things cause me to say, I'm going to set these things up. Because integrity is revealed in privacy. Here's the last truth, and we find it as we read verses 16 through 23 and close out the chapter. Let's start in verse 16. Look at what continues to happen. She's got the cloak. Joseph runs out of the house, and now in verse 16, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home, and she told him this story. Wasn't it a story, right? That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me? He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Here's the third truth. Integrity is always, keyword, always the right choice. It's always the right choice. It's never the wrong choice. And when we read verses 16 through 20, you know what it reminds me? That doing right may not always seem like the quickest route to my goals and dreams. It's oftentimes not the quickest route. And if you put yourself in the story, you mean your heart really is breaking for Joseph, is it not? I mean, the guy is doing one right thing after another and living his life by integrity, and all it's doing is putting him from one bad consequence into another. And he's trying to do what's right. Kind of brings us back to the first truth, right? Integrity is not biased by circumstances. But here's here's what you need to understand, and here's what I see when I see it this passage of scripture in verses. 16 through 20 that we just read, that Joseph already had his coat of many colors taken away. And now he has his cloak, which I'm sure was not near as brilliant and amazing and awesome, taken away. But even though Joseph lost his coat of many colors and he lost his cloak in this story, he kept his character. He kept his character. And that's why I say that integrity has no regrets. I've never run into anyone who says, man, I'm really regretting making the right choice. The life choice according to God's word, believing it's God's will, and God's best for my life. But here's something else we need to understand about integrity. It always shines in the face of false accusation. 
Because if you haven't experienced this already, you will. And I don't mean to say this to be a downer. But there's going to be times where you're going to do the right thing and people are going to question it and talk bad about you and maybe even spread lies about you. And you're going to be like, what in the world? I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to serve you, Lord. And, and this seems to be happening in the moment. But listen to me. Integrity always shines brighter than lies. Truth always shines brighter than lies. And I say that because in this time that this story was written, if Joseph truly slept with Potiphar's wife, Potiphar would have had Joseph executed. That was the consequence for doing such a thing. Which leads me to believe, and though we don't, it's not stated in scripture, so we can't say it's absolute fact, but if I'm gonna put my thinking cap on and think, I'm gonna say to myself, there was probably some doubt in Potiphar to what his wife was saying and that it was indeed true. Because up to that point, Potiphar had seen Joseph make the right choice, the choice of integrity over and over and over and over and over again. And so though the normal thing would be, you're gonna die for that, instead Potiphar puts Joseph in prison. What we would look at as another horrible, difficult consequence for doing the right thing. But knowing most of us know the end of the story, you know what this tells me? Is that choice for doing, that choice of integrity to do what was right and not to give in to the flesh and to resist temptation put Joseph exactly where God wanted him to be. exactly where he wanted him to be. Because integrity, according to our definition, is the path to experience God's purpose for your life and his faithfulness in your life. It puts you on that path. Let's finish out this chapter reading the end of verse 20. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, in the place that none of us would want to be, in the place that Joseph didn't necessarily want to be, but in the place that God wanted Joseph in his process. Look at what happens. The Lord was with him. There it is again. And he showed him his kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Do you see the... Similarities there between Potiphar's household and now the prison. But look at this. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Success? Really? You're in a prison which resembled no prison that we have today. He was in a prison, he was in slavery. And two times in this chapter, he's told that he's successful. Does that not cause you to scratch your head? Because it sure causes me to scratch mine. And it's interesting when you look at that word success in the original language that this, that Genesis was written in the Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, for those of you that don't know, when you look at that word, it literally means to cut through. To slice through. And don't you see that in Joseph's life? 
that regardless of the circumstance that comes his way, he chooses to make the choice of integrity because he understands more than any other thing that he's faced with that God's presence is with him. He's making life choices according to what God's desire is for his life. It's almost as thinking as though our life, our life is a knife. It's hard to say. It's almost thinking that way. And if when we encounter something hard and difficult in life, and we are making choices that are contrary to what God's word says, we're not making choices of integrity, rather we're making choices according to our flesh. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, and we're living our life like that, what happens is, is our knife, our life becomes dull. And when those hard situations come at us, the problem is, is we can't experience success in those. Why? Because our life is dull, because we are not choosing to make life choices according to God's word, believing it's God's will and God's best for our life, because integrity is almost like a knife sharpener. To where in our life, what we're doing is every day we're saying, man, I'm going to read God's word consistently. I'm going to pray fervently. I'm going to trust him faithfully. And I'm going to choose to make choices of integrity. Remember what I said, integrity is submission, not perfection. And so when I make a choice to sin, what am I going to do? I'm going to confess that as sin. I'm going to ask forgiveness of that sin. And I'm going to continue living in step with what God wants me to do. And as I'm making those choices, what I'm doing as I'm making choices of integrity is my life, my knife is becoming stronger and sharper so that I'm experiencing success in my life. So when the hard times come and the circumstances come that are contrary to necessarily what I want and I've having to trust God in the process. I don't doubt his provision and I don't doubt his presence and I don't doubt his promises because my knife is sharp because I'm making daily choices of integrity. So I experience success in the reality that I'm able to cut through those hard things in life. And by cutting through those hard things in life, what happens is by doing those things is in the midst of that, I experience sweetness. The sweetness of experiencing God's presence in a greater way. And so many of us are doubting God's promises and his provisions and his presence because we're trying to live lives without integrity. And it can't happen. And what I see in Joseph's life, that in spite of these circumstances, there is a sweetness that he is experiencing because even though success isn't meaning for him in this moment that he's accumulating resources and possessions, but what he is accumulating, what he is seeing is his trust in God growing every day through every hard circumstance that he goes through. Joshua 1.8 is a great passage of scripture that really illustrates this in a different book. 
And in Joshua 1.8, when he's about to take responsibility for the children of Israel, God's instruction to him is this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. What did we say? Man, I got to read God's word consistently. I got to pray fervently. I need to trust him faithfully if I'm going to embrace the process and not allow my integrity to be biased by circumstances. Man, I need to make steps to resist temptation and not think that I'm somebody different and pointing my nose and finding someone who's worse off than I am. Wait a minute. That's not integrity. I need to believe it's always the right choice. He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night. And look at this. So you may be careful to do everything written in it. That's integrity. To be careful to obey. To be careful to make life choices according to God's word, believing it's God's will and God's best for my life. And what's the result? Then you will be prosperous and successful. Same word. You'll be able to cut through the hard things. You'll experience God's presence in a greater way. You'll experience God's promises in a greater way. You'll experience God's provision in a greater way. 